Well, we are in between a series. Last week, we finished up the Family Portrait series, and uh, next week, we start a new series, and I'll be telling you a little bit more about that in just a moment. But uh, I often like to take the in-between series and uh, just kind of gather and talk and share, okay, how are we doing what are we doing? What's our goal here at First Baptist? What are we supposed to be living up to? What does God's Word tell us individually as well as a church how we are supposed to be living our lives? And, and kind of the idea I have in this, and I shared this a few years ago, was when I coached uh, upward soccer uh, first and second graders. Anybody coached little kids in soccer? Any of you have done that? That is a wild experience, right? It's like herding cats, okay? You kind of get them all going in one direction, then they all go in other directions. They're all over the place. It is, it is hard to do. But what I would do, a little technique I learned, is every now and then I would take the whistle and I would blow the whistle and I would have everybody stop and ask the question, where's the goal? Fair enough questions for little, you know, kindergarten, first, second graders, Right? You'd be amazed at where they pointed with where they go, because I made them point. You know, it was, like, it was like that. And I said, no, the goal is there. That's where you're going. That's where you're kicking the ball. Kick it that way. Oh, oh, got it, coach. Got it. Okay, let's do that. Same sort of thing I experience in, in, in our church lives, in our Christian faith, our Christian walk. There are so many different things that maybe we kind of are pointing towards. So many different things in the world is actually taking our attention that it's good to pull together and say, okay, First Baptist, blow the whistle. Where's the goal? And as we are, yeah, yeah, okay, nice pointing right there. That's the goal, isn't it, for us? Absolutely. We just sang about that. We're halfway through 2016. In fact, yesterday, six more months will be Christmas. You realize that? Six months from yesterday. Yeah, we're halfway there. Where's been your goal? What have you been trying to accomplish? What have you been doing? Are are, are you staying on track? Because I hope and I pray that you're not just coming here and playing church. That is not what we want here when we come to First Baptist. I hope you don't come and, you know, just uh, sing a few little songs, maybe enjoy some of the fellowship, maybe get a donut hole or two or three or four or five, right? Or enjoy your coffee and then just, you know, listen to a, a message and, well, he wasn't funny today or well, I wish he would have done this or I wish he wouldn't have said this and then go home and evaluate it and be done with it. That's playing church. That is not at all what we're about here. Do we allow some of those other things happen? Yes, but we are about what we just did, the worship. And we are about teaching God's Word and getting into God's Word and understanding what it's about. And so I pray that it's not just a plain church type of day that you're on here today, but every time you come here, you're saying, okay, God, what is the goal for my life? And if you have your Bibles, if you would open them up to Luke chapter 10, I want to show you a story and kind of get you into this paralleling with a man who came to Jesus and asked the same sort of question. It was a a lawyer, of all people, and it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, a lawyer stood up to put him, that is Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What are we, okay, where's the goal? All right, teacher, I'm going through life. Where do you say I'm supposed to be headed? What, what's at the end of this? Where is it going? And I'm, am I going to get there? 
So Jesus, knowing that he was kind of putting them to a test, and we won't get into all that right now. We won't get into the end of the passage as well, but I'll explain a little bit about what Jesus did and said and where he went with this. But Jesus kind of put it back in his court. And he said, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus then said to him, you answered correctly. Now, what are the next two words there? Do this. Do this, and you will live. Don't just say it. Don't just play, church. Don't just play the answer. Don't just, you know, have the answer recited to you because Jesus had had said this answer before. There's other um, uh, books uh, from the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where he gives the same answer. So the guy knew the answer. He knew how to say it, but did he know how to do this? That's where I jump in and say, okay, First Baptist, How well are we doing at the do this? As we grapple with this question here, mid-2016, and while each of us needs to answer that question personally, I also want to ask it of our entire church, because that's what we are here to help with. That's what we do as a church. In fact, our mission statement is, some of you have this memorized and you could say it, but others will put it up on the screen. Why don't you say this with me, okay? Our mission statement is helping people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. That's what we do as a church. That's what we do. That's what the goal is. And why we do this revolves around the 10 core values that we have as a church. And some of you will remember when I first became senior pastor, I went through those in about a year's time. And I talked three or four weeks on each of those subjects of trying to say, remember, this is who we are. This is what we do. We value biblical authority. We value prayer. We value worship. We went through each of those. And earlier in this year, we actually did some surveys on this where we posed it to you. We posed two of those a week in January and February, and we said, okay, First Baptist, tell us. How are we doing at this? How are you doing at this? How can we do better in all of this? And while we are still sorting through all the answers that you gave to us, some things have kind of risen to the top, and I want to share some of those in this message, but I also want to just kind of remind you that how we go about accomplishing our mission statement is what's on the front of this cover, and that is to know, grow, serve, and share. That's kind of the, 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 the sift that we put this through. We, we, we kind of sort it through there. We kind of funnel it in. Uh, all these categories of no, grow, serve, share is also why we put that on the inside cover. And the specific announcements are even broken into those areas of no, grow, serve, share. And if something doesn't fit in those categories, we don't need to be doing it. That's not a part of our goal. And so how do we know Jesus in a greater way? How do we grow in our faith of Jesus in a greater way? How do we serve like Jesus would serve? And how do we share the message of Jesus Christ with the world around us? That's what we are about. So let me kind of answer the where's the goal and how are we doing all that by talking about those four areas. And let me start out with the no area. The no. We live in a scary date and time, don't we? 
where people say they know God in some strange ways and some strange things that they believe. In fact, George Bonner, he's kind of a church research guru, pulls many, many different churches, Christians, finds out what the pulse of America is, and really around the world as well, but this one was for America. He asked the question of people across the nation, do you live with a biblical worldview? And how he defined a biblical worldview was this. Let me just briefly go over this. A biblical worldview would believe that we have absolute moral truth in this world today, that the Bible is completely accurate in all of its principles that it teaches, that Satan is considered to be a real being or force. A person cannot earn their way to heaven by trying to be good or doing good works, that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth, and that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. Okay, that was Barna's definition of a biblical worldview. And the question went out to America. Do you live by that standard? Let me give you the answers. In the age grouping between 18 and 23, that would be our college-aged people typically, 1% of that generation said they live by believing all of those things. 1%. A group of 100 people here, only one would stand up and say, yes, I live my life by that. Now, it gets a little scarier because that question was posed because some of you might say, well, yeah, that's those young people, right? They, They believe all these different weird things, right? It gets a little scarier because across the board for adults, anybody age 18 and above, same survey was given. And would you believe only 9% of people say they live by a biblical worldview here in America? That is one in ten. Only one in ten say that they believe that all those statements are true and live in that type of way or try and live with that type of belief in their life. You ready for it to get even a little scarier? Let me give you one last stat on this. That question then was posed to people who said that they believed and were born-again Christians. See, the all across America was just people in general. Now let's talk to just people who are say that, yes, I am a Christian. I attend church. I'm a born-again Christian. And that stat went down to just one in five. Just 19% of people in churches say that they believe those statements to be true. You see something off there? I would hope and I would pray that we here at First Baptist would be much higher in that and that we would say, no, we do believe those things to be true and we want to live our lives that way because it's scary to live in a world where you don't have absolute truth. And where you think that, well, you know, Jesus maybe wasn't sinless. And, well, maybe God isn't all-knowing. And maybe God is an all-powerful creator. That is a scary world to live in. Maybe it's why our world is the way it is today. But our church should not be that way. Our churches across this country should not be in that. And yet one in five, only one in five would stand up and say, yes, I believe those statements to all be true. That's my worldview. And so we need to kind of explore this a little bit further. And so in mid-August to September, I'm going to do a series called Worldviews. And we're going to see what the world lives, how the world views life in general. And we need to be aware of this. And maybe even some of us have slipped into some of those beliefs that don't honor God. Slipped into some of those beliefs that would say, well, maybe God isn't all-knowing or all-powerful. Or maybe we just live that way. Maybe we would say, well, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to believe. But maybe we don't live that way. 
In fact, I've been reading a book called The Rise of the Nuns, and it's not N-U-N-S, like a convent type of thing. It is a nuns as in N-O-N-E-S. They have none. They have no religious affiliation. And that group of Americans has risen higher and higher and higher and higher. In fact, let me just share this with you. In the 1940s, only 5% would say that they had no religious affiliation. So 95% of people in America back in the 1940s were connected in with some sort of a church and had some sort of a belief. That number in the 90s rose up to 8%. In 2008, it rose up to 15%. And just four years after that, in 2012, it rose up to 19% of people saying that we are not affiliated with any sort of a faith. Folks, that trend is not good. It's going by the wayside of saying, well, you know, God doesn't really matter in my life, and certainly church doesn't matter as well. And yet, I want to throw out this thought that when people are open to hearing God's word, when they're open to understanding what God has for them, their lives can be radically changed. You look at the disciples of Jesus, and that was a ragtag bunch of followers And they came from different, but maybe even some of them would say they had lost their faith. Maybe they would say they were a nun, N-O-N-E, as it's classified today, the rise of the nuns. You look at them and you say they had um, not made the cut to follow into any sort of a religious teaching. They they were not following a rabbi or in a rabbinical school. They they, they didn't make the cut of being involved in that area of, of the religious sector. One of them was a tax collector. Another one of them, even after Jesus came back from the grave still doubted him, and yet through those disciples, Jesus turned the world upside down. Amen? We know what we know today because of their hearts and their passion and their writing and their work of evangelizing the world through the work of the Holy Spirit working in that group of disciples. They took the message and they turned the world upside down. It can happen again today. In fact, one of them, John, wrote the whole book of John. He wrote some other letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation as well. But here's what he said. You have the verse up on the screen or it's in your outline. He said this, The reason I'm writing these things is so that these may be written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have, what's the word there? What do you have? life in his name. That's what I want you to experience. This is why I believe. This is why I learn. This is why my life has been changed. And so when we come here on Sunday mornings, if you want to talk about where's the goal, yes, the goal is to look to the cross. The goal is to worship. The, the goal is to be taught by his word. The goal is to know him further. Every Sunday, I pray, you are experiencing that by the power of his word. You're experiencing that by the power of worship, of standing in his presence, of knowing him. And that's why church attendance is important. It's important that we come here and that we gather and we worship and we know who we serve and who we learn and experience through God's word. Let me go to the second one, though. It's grow. Our, our goal here is not only to know God, but it's also to grow in our faith of Him. Let me share what the surveys that you all gave back in January and February kind of indicated to us. Um, back in January and February, I found out off of those surveys that two-thirds of the people who were surveyed 
don't actually read their Bible on a daily basis. What those surveys indicated was that a third of you say you read your Bible on a daily basis. A third of you said, I read my Bible maybe one to three times a week. And then about a quarter of you said, I read my Bible eh, when I remember it. Thanks for being at least honest about that. That's good. You were honest about that. And then 15% said, I don't read my Bible at all. I don't, I don't read a Bible at all. And while those numbers can, again, be a little, a little hard to digest, let me explain to you from a positive standpoint. I'm glad we have a church here where everybody doesn't read their Bibles. And I'll tell you why. Because that tells me there's people in here who don't have Bibles yet. That tells me there are people in here who don't know what it means to be a Christian yet. That tells me that there are some people who are searching this out. That tells me that you've been inviting people to come and sit beside you and begin to explore this. And it's okay to have about a third of the people in the church who are not there yet. It's not okay to stay there. We want to grow and we want to get there. And I would even say it's not okay if we just say, well, I read it one to three times a week. No, we all want to get to that place where we're reading it every day. So really, to have a healthy church, I look at it and I say, I want about a third of you who are mature, mature, mature believers. And I want another third who are growing in their faith. And then I'd even like another third who are here and they don't have a faith yet, but they're exploring that faith and coming along in their faith progress. So, so while the numbers might be kind of hard to digest on one hand, they're, they're okay on the other hand. But here's the deal. This is what this showed me. Is that two-thirds of the people who are here are more influenced by media, by newspapers, by magazines, or by whatever else you read off your iPhones, iPads, computers, than you are by reading God's Word. And what we need to do is get as many of us in who are now would say, I'm a committed believer, I'm going to grow in my faith, and we all need to be the ones who are leading the way in doing that. And then we'll talk about the serve and the share and how that helps other people come along that way as well. Because one of the responses I got, we got from the surveys was that we need help in understanding what the Bible is about. And that may be one of the reasons that some of you don't pick up your Bible. And so we said as a staff, okay, how can we do this? How can we help? If our goal is to grow people in their faith, and our goal is to help them experience God's Word, how can we help them do that? And so what we've come up with is in, on September 17th, and please, if you have a pen or a pe- uh, piece of paper, write that down on your outline. September 17th, it's a Saturday morning. We want you here to be a part of our Walk Through the Bible seminar that we call a live event. And it will walk you through what it means to know this word. You will gather, because some of you I know, you probably come in here and say, I don't know a thing about the Bible. And others of you probably say, well, I know enough, but I could use more. And others would say, well, I've been in church and understand the Bible and Sunday school classes for years and years and years and years. We want to catch everybody up. And it will be a, a, a fantastic, you will not walk away from that day being disappointed. It goes from 8.30 in the morning until about 3.30 in the afternoon, and you will have a full overview of what this Bible is all about so that when you are done with that day, there won't be excuses as to, well, I don't really understand it. It will give you the big picture view of what the Bible is all about. I mean, it's what Jesus did when he appeared after his resurrection. Remember the story when he's um, going and walking on the road to Emmaus, and he's joined by these couple of other people who are questioning him, and they're saying, hey, you know what, have you heard the big news? The Messiah, he was killed. And Jesus is like, oh, really? Tell me a little bit more about that. They didn't recognize that he was the one who now rose from the dead. 
And what Jesus did, look at the verse there in Luke 24. It says, at the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the thing concerning who? Himself. That's what the scriptures point to, and that's what we have to keep in mind. That as we read God's word, and even some of the parts in the Old Testament, which may be a little harder to understand, is that he's pointing to his son Jesus. And so when Jesus was here, he said, hey, let me, let me show you a little bit. And he goes back in scripture, and he begins to show them the areas where the Messiah was coming. And then Jesus says, he's standing right in front of you. And so that's what we hope to do. And that's what, you know, Dave and Sue just shared about their testimony. After we do that class, we're hoping that people will then get into the community groups. It's the all-in church-wide series. We've had about three or four of those now. Um, you as a church have signed up for those, and we have been so blessed. In fact, about half of you sign up. About six, five or 600 people have been signing up the last few years to be in those community groups. Honestly, folks, that is great. Across our country... Pastors would die to have a congregation who say, sure, I'll join in for six or seven weeks and be in a community group and I'll grow in my faith. Most churches can't even begin to scratch that. However, I look and I say, we can do better. We should be having 65, 75, 80. We should be having 100% of our people who say, we want to commit to growing in our faith, to being in a community group like Dave and Sue Pyle talked about. And here's the thing. Some of you might be saying, well, you know what? I've been in those community groups and I know my Bible. Well, great. You're just the ones that we need to help lead, like Dave and Sue stepped up and said, we'll help lead. We'll make a difference. And so you'll hear more from Pastor Susie and Pastor Derek in the next coming weeks, but if you'll just begin to pray about that, you will be a part of helping us, helping people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. And we so hope that you will be in that, in this grow area. So I blow the whistle. We say, what is it? What's the goal in knowing? It's to worship and understand God's word. How do you grow? You grow in your faith by getting connected to a community group. Let me go to the third point, and that's the share. Excuse me. Serve. Let's go there first. Serve. You know, again, as a church, we just kind of want to be an encouragement to the people who are serving in our family. And, and, and I'll tell you what, there was a stat that we came across this last May, which was just about mid-last month. We, we held a dinner. For all of you who are serving in some aspect of the church here at First Baptist. And as a staff, we had no idea how many people were serving across the board. And so we put words out to all the leaders and we said, okay, invite anybody who's serving. And if you're serving, and we hope you got an invitation to that. And we had people gather in the gymnasium, had a great time doing that. Do you know how many people here at First Baptist have signed up to be a part of a ministry and to serve in some way? Over 700 of you have done that. That's amazing. Again, pastors would die to have congregations that would even approach, come close to that. And yet, I don't want to rest on that. That means that there's twice as many of you out there who are not serving. But we say thank you for those who are. That, that, that is amazing that you would say, yes, I want to make a difference. Here's what, though, our survey discovered. Is that only 20% of you are serving and knowing of your gifts, your spiritual gifts. In other words, the survey indicated that only one in five of you know what your spiritual gifts are and serve in those ways, which is why we're going to start up a series next week called Gifted, and it's for you to discover and to develop what your spiritual gifts are. 
And so you will find out, like, who has these spiritual gifts. You'll find out um, what those spiritual gifts are. We're going to offer you a class, uh, actually, in the morning time, just two hours, um, on, on two Sunday mornings, that you can discover what those giftings are. And then we hope that you will take those and put those into practice at our Next Step Sunday. And if you're familiar with that word, uh, that name, it's the Sunday where we have all the ministries in the church out in our Welcome Center and along our walkway where we say, come, get involved, sign up. And this year, we're hoping that if you know your spiritual giftings, that's what you'll then sign up to use those spiritual giftings. And I, I, I get so excited when people begin to have a passion for serving because they're serving in an area that God created them to serve in. I mean, there's people who go out to visit people in, in the jails. I was just talking to someone out in our Welcome Center just a bit ago. I mean, his eyes would light up when he says, this is what I get to do, and this is how I get to serve. There's people who serve every Saturday morning here at our breakfast club. There's one gentleman I was talking to. He was sharing me a little bit about the things that he was doing and how he's involved here at the church. And all of a sudden, he started talking about the breakfast club, and he just got more excited than I had seen him about most anything in his life. And you could just tell he had a passion for doing that. That's what we hope you will develop is using your spiritual giftings, putting them into place, and to serve in your area of passion. Because if you don't, listen, God made you and designed you with giftings to serve Him. And if you don't use those giftings, you won't become all that God has intended and created you to be. In fact, Satan's the one who's destroyed that. Look at this next verse here out of John 10.10. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it. What's the word there? Abundantly. Man, find a passion and serve in that way. God made you and created you that way. I will say this unapologetically. You will never find true self-worth and significance in your life like you will find in serving God by serving other people. There is just something about that where you can serve God by serving his people. That's what God has called us to do. And I'll say this, look out Stockton when all of First Baptist understands this and starts to do it. I mean, this is the do this section, right? This is the, wow, you know what? It's not just something I need to talk about. It's something that I actually need to do. And you look out Stockton, what will happen? When our church grabs a hold of that and understands what that means of putting that into practice, because the paradox of Christianity is that when you give your life away, that's when you find it. That's when you find the true joy and abundant life that God has hoped for you to live in. And so I hope you'll jump into this next series that we're going to start up next week and culminates there at the Next Step Sunday in August. Lastly, let me share about the share. We need to continue to see it as our responsibility, not the pastor's responsibility, not the ministry that I donate to on the radio or the television, not um, the paid staff here at First Baptist or other churches. We need to see it as all of our responsibilities that we are the good news of Jesus everywhere we go. And sometimes that's demonstrated by what we do. Sometimes that is verbally shared by how we speak it. Sometimes it's just an invitation that we give to others to come and hear that message. I mean, I was so thrilled to hear that we as a church had over 300 kids here for VBS. Over 40 of them gave their lives to Christ. 150 of you said, yes, we'll help serve and make this VBS happen. 
Others of you took donations and brought those back so that they could, we could financially gift that area and not have to use so much from our budget. Others of you just continue to give. We made that whole thing free so that people, there would be no excuse. And others of you just invited. You invited family, you invited friends, you invited neighbors, whoever it may have been. And it's been exciting now to see some of those families begin to come here to First Baptist as well because they were exposed, their children were exposed to God's Word and God's teachings. And so we intentionally push in the share area um, for all of us to be inviting others. Around Easter, around Christmas, in the fall time is another great time. Uh, But truthfully, any Sunday, we say, if God lays it upon your heart, Bring them, and we know God's word will speak to them. Not, was the message great? Not, oh, I wanted this pastor, not that pastor type of thing. But every Sunday, God's word, through his spirit, speaks to people right where they're at. There's a number of new people here I've met today. Today of all days. I don't know why, but I've met a number of new people. Great to have you guys here today. What you need to know, I'm talking kind of to the inside crowd here today, but what you need to know is that you're not here by accident. You're here because someone shared God's word with you. And look at the verse there, folks, of why we do this. It says out of 2 Corinthians chapter um, 5, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new, what's the word there? New creation. We now have different goals. We have different objectives. The whistle has been blown. Where's the goal? You're a new creation. You do this differently now. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us now the ministry of what? Reconciliation. So what Jesus did for us on the cross by dying in our place, when we come to Christ, now he says, you are a part of the plan. You're a part of pointing people back towards me. You're a part of helping people to take their next step in knowing him and making him known. It's why, as I shared a few months ago, um, a series that we talked about our oikos. You have 8 to 15 people in your lives who God has placed there that you can impact, that you can share, that you can be praying for, and who will listen to you as you share life with them. You can do it with the people at the stores and the banks and the other places that you go. But specifically, those 8 to 15 people, God has them in your life so that you will be a witness to them in greater ways. I hope, I hope we are in tune with that as we share and become those ministers of reconciliation to others. And and in the sharing area, let me just kind of do a subcategory as well because this is so important to the purpose of our church. God has designed the purpose of His work to be accomplished through the sharing of our resources as well and through the giving that we have and that we bring. The offering that we took here this morning is brought so that we can see people go onto the mission field in places like Honduras today. It's so that we can help sponsor some youth who go on their trips. There's a youth trip. Um, Our senior high is going to Sultana here in just a few weeks. Now, they pay their way, or they pay a portion of their way, but we as a church come alongside, and we provide a project money, we provide transportation for them, and we realize we provide scholarships too, because not all those youth can go and make those trips happen. But when you give, it's why we can sponsor missionaries overseas, and the gospel rescue mission, as well as Youth for Christ, and the Haven of Peace, and the Pregnancy Help Center. It's why we can do all the ministries that we do here on the grounds. If you come here tomorrow, 8 or 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning, 
you'll see we have a full program of First Baptist Christian School with an, uh, uh, um, uh, a camp for the kids that they are here for the whole week. And you'll see that we have a basketball camp as well as a cheer camp. We don't do those to teach kids basketball and cheer. What do we do it to teach them? About Jesus. Yeah, they'll learn a skill. Yes, they will be blessed by that. But even more than that, we want them to understand the worldview that God has for them. We want them to understand what is really in this word. And I know Mindy is over here. Mindy Gray is helping do, there she is. She's going to help do those cheers. My daughter's helping with her. And, and they already have, you got some cheers, you're cheering for God, right? Instead of cheering for a specific team, she's got a, a cheer that cheers for God. Because that's what we want to get the kids in their hearts. Yes, they understand the skills to that matter in that way. But really, it's about pointing people to Jesus. That's why we do what we do. That's how we share on these grounds. And that's what your offerings and giving help us do on a regular basis. So we say thank you for that. But let me share with you some good news and some bad news. All right, what do you want first, the good news or the bad news? I'll give you the good. Okay, all right. Let me share with you the good. I, I like starting out with the good news. The good news is, is that we understand in a greater way what it means to take care of our long-term debts. Last fall, we had a whole campaign on saying, we've got to pay down that debt, pay down that debt, pay down that debt. And we want to take care of that as soon as we can. And many of you made commitments, and you're following through with those commitments. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In fact, last month, we had over $70,000 come in to pay down the debt on the Children's Building and on the Ministry Center. Wonderful giving that you guys have been doing. Thank you for understanding that. Thank you for helping us go and try and pay that thing down as soon as we can. We'll, we'll continue to report on how that's going. That's going very well. Let me share the bad news now. Maybe we've done so well on that some of that money has been taken away from the general budget that we have here to do the ministries that we always do. What we had hoped would happen was that would be over and above giftings that we would be giving to the ministry, over and above what already we give to the offerings. And some of you have done that, and we praise God that you have done that. But others we've seen have kind of shifted money away from the general giving and paid it to pay down that debt. It's, it's like one of our deacons said. He said in our business meeting or in our deacons meeting, he said, well, it looks like, you know, we're paying off the mortgage. We're making double payments on the mortgage, but we're forgetting to pay for the car payments. That, that, that's a little bit of what it kind of feels like, that we're not meeting that budget here that we have on an ongoing basis, and we're paying more to pay down the debt. And so we would just say, if, if, if you find yourself doing that, to please help to give towards the general budget, the general offerings, first and foremost, and then over and above to pay and help us pay down that debt. Second thing in that regards is that some of you know that God has blessed you with resources where you can give more towards that or can start to give to the ministry at First Baptist. And that's what we hope that you would do. If you're someone who really hasn't been giving around here, that you would join the team. That you would understand what God wants us to do and the know, the grow, the serve, and the share. That you'd see the value of the ministry here at First Baptist and say, I want to join in what God is doing there. Because what we, have all, what we all need to understand, and many of you have come to that place where you have understood this, but let, we need everyone to come to this place, is that God owns it all already, Right? He just gives it to us to be stewards of what he has given to us. And what that means, to be a steward of what God has given to us, is that every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Ah, that may be a new worldview for you. 
But everything you spend on really is a spiritual decision because it's what God gives to us. He owns it all. And and here's what's curious about this, is that um, we now get to say, how am I going to not only spend my money, but it's really saying, how am I going to spend God's money? That's right. And God has said, be generous in how you spend my money. For some reason, God does not need our money. But for some reason, he gives it to us and then says, I want you to partner with me. And I happen to believe it's so that our hearts won't continue to grow smaller and smaller and smaller and spend it all on ourselves. It's to give it away and to exercise the heart to grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so God does this. He gives you his money that you say, well, it's mine. No, we're just stewards. We're just caretakers of it. And he says, now be generous with it. Because it's all a spiritual decision. And so the question really is this. Do you view how you spend your money as a spiritual decision? Where does it go? How how are you using it? Are you using it on yourself? Are you using it on to bless others in the work that God has before us. And, and a principle that we have taught around here for years, Pastor Jim initiated it years and years and years ago. Many of you live by that, and I know the ones who live by that are more blessed in your lives. It's the 10-10-80 principle, that we give 10% to God, we save 10%, and then we live on the 80%. And, and over and over and over and over again, the people who do that just realize you live more blessed lives. God takes care of us in a very practical way, and there's more joy in getting to live that way. So I just want to continue to put that before you as well. As we talk about the share area, that, that is so important. God doesn't need our money. He, he, he just knows that we are more joyful and abundantly blessed when we spend it in the right way. And the way I often like to say it is it's not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. He wants to bless you. He wants your heart to be big. And when you give it away, your heart grows. In fact, look at the verse here out of Matthew chapter 6. It says, for where your treasure is, there your what? If you spend your money on things, that's where your heart goes. If you spend your money on God's work, that's where your heart goes. And when this world is all said and done, that, the Lord's work, is what truly matters. And the truth is, so many of you do this in a great way, but we just need everybody to be a great church to get on board with this. And the truth is, if we all gave to the Lord that principle of tithing, if we all gave, there would be no question we'd have enough resources to do God's work throughout now till when he comes back. No question. So, let me kind of summarize this in saying, we're halfway through the year, 2016. Where's the goal? And, and how you doing? Would you say you'd like to repeat the second half? Would you say, forget the first half of the year, let me start over, let me do a do-over? How are you doing in the, gro- in, in the knowing of God, of, of your worship and your word? How are you doing in, in growing, joining in with a community group, some sort of a Bible study, some sort of a Sunday school class that makes it different. How are you doing in the area of serving? Do you have a ministry where you say, I, I, I want to serve God in this area? How are you doing in your sharing, not only verbally, but your lifestyle and your commitment, but then also in your regular sharing of your resources and giving to the Lord? Because the truth of the matter is, the greatness of this church 
is only as great as the commitment of its people. That's where, that's where it really rests. Where's that commitment? Because if the goal is there, we know Jesus committed everything. He gave it all. Shouldn't we be doing the same? Let me just finish up the story. Because the lawyer came to Jesus and gave the right answer. Remember what Jesus said? He said, okay, now, now go do this. And the lawyer kind of scratches his head and says, okay, well, who do I do this for? And that's where the story of the Good Samaritan came in. We don't have time to go over that story. But here's what happened at the end. The very last words that Jesus gave to the man was, now you go and you do likewise. It wasn't just talk. It wasn't just answers. It wasn't just playing the good life. It wasn't just playing church. It was going and doing that Jesus said where lives are changed. That is my prayer for us here at First Baptist Church. That people will know that we are Christians just by the love we have and the way we live our lives. That is the going and doing. Let's pray. Folks, in your own heart of hearts, why don't you just take a moment and evaluate. What has been your goal in the first half of 2016? And how have you been doing at it? Maybe you would say, uh, I've not been as focused as I need to be in knowing God and growing in my faith and serving and sharing. Or maybe you'd say, you know what? I have really taken strides this year. I've been blessed. It's good to look in the rearview mirror, but it's even better to look out the windshield. And so let me just say this. Where do you want things to go for the rest of the months here in 2016? And the commitments that you make today will guide that. The things that you say are important will dictate where you go. And as we stand and as we gather at Christmas time and New Year's, we can look back and we can evaluate. How did I do with the goal? Did I score? Did I know God on a regular and personal basis? Did I grow in my faith and help others grow? Did I serve Him on a regular basis? Did I share my faith? Did I share my resources? God, each of us wants to give account to you. And we do that on a daily basis, but Lord, at the end of our lives, we do that and we will stand before you. And you will ask us what we did with what was given to us. And so Lord, if we have kind of gotten off track, if our goal has not been what it needs to be today, by the power of your spirit, may you guide us and put us back on track so that we will be solely, fully, wholeheartedly sold out to helping people take their next step and knowing you and making you known to the world around us. God, even now as we sing this last worship song, we uh, sing it and then we go out into the world not saying, well, that was my church time. Now this is my regular time. No, Lord, it, it is 24-7. This faith walk is lived 
every day, every minute. And so, Lord, our faith, we want it to grow stronger. We don't want it to be shaken. I pray that as we've even come here and heard and been reminded of the goal you have before us, that we'll be firm and set upon that as we follow you. Lord, we bow before you. We bow before your cross that you gave your son to us, Jesus. Our lives are changed. Our lives are different because of what Jesus did for us. Now we want to be a part of that plan of helping other lives change. Thank you for what you've given to us, that ministry of reconciliation where we are helping others connect to you. Thank you for feeding us. We now go and make a difference. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.